Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. Today, we are happy to welcome Hilmar back to the program. How's it going, Hilmar? It's going great. Great to be back. And with him, we have CCP Falcon. Hey, man. Good to be here. And a CCP Goodfellow, who's new to CCP, if I'm not mistaken. I've been here for two and a half years, but I'm at least new to Talking in Stations. Thank you for having me. And EVE Online, that is definitely a new bro. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it's nice to meet you for the first time. Likewise. So for Talking in Stations, we have Carneros. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Elise Randolph. Hey, how's it going? And off screen, we have Caleb Rania. Hey, guys. All right. So the last time that we talked with you, Hilmar, it was just before the invasion um, tour and also expansion. And that was about March, the end of March. And since then, um, a lot of things have happened. And we'll just start with the most present one, which is the blackout in NullSec. So it's been 13 days since NullSec has been blacked out. And we're wondering if the players have surprised you with some of their behavior. <clears throat> so um, I think, um, sort of based on my own experience of, of playing through wormhole gameplay quite a bit last year, and the, what should we say, the prototype of the blackout when we had the broken chess system of last year, uh, that we had enough uh, data to extrapolate from what would happen. Uh, and I would just say what we estimated would happen actually happened just to a greater extent than we estimated, which is usually uh, often what happens with EVE. We, we think something will have a small effect to some direction, and it just has had a massive effect to a, to, to a similar direction, uh, but just a much higher amplitude. Um, it's definitely driven up activity across the board. Some people were worried that this would most make everyone crap up and nobody would do anything. Uh, that, that has not been the case. We're, uh, we're actually experiencing right now, this month of July, uh, we have the highest MAU and DAU uh, in the past five years, just to give you a sense. So uh, if I just look across our matrix, even line has not been as vibrant over the summer in the past five years. Can I just chime in and say MAU is monthly active users and DAU is daily active users. These are two key statistics across games. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you, Carneros. <laughs> and I mean, uh, it has also created so much discussion. Uh, Falcon, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time that we've broken our forum thread. Yeah, we... Uh... I didn't actually realize that that limit was there, but um, our forum software discourse actually uh, has a hard limit of 10,000 posts per thread. And there was uh, there was that much, let's say, quote unquote discussion uh, going on on the forums that uh, we actually filled the thread and had to open a second one. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's kept people pretty active. The, uh, the response has obviously been very, really, really polarized. And there's some people who love it, some people who hate it, and some people who just don't care because they don't really uh, they don't really interact with Nullsec. But uh, we've seen some uh, we've definitely seen some interesting metrics, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see how things have changed uh, over the course of the, the last thirteen days. That's amazing. I remember the first time I hit a stack limit for Tritanium. I had no idea there would be a stack limit. I was shocked. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a surprise. Uh, no, excellent. Are are there? Uh, 
Now you're seeing more people logging in and more people playing. Are, is there a part of the activity of the game that's really surprised you about the change, either up or down? Uh, is like, for example, did PVE behave like you thought it would? Um, well, I mean, there there definitely has been like a change to it in various different directions. Like, uh, if today, thirteen days in, is quite a different game than it was before. Um, but it's just overall this uh, increased amount of vibrancy, uh, which I, I think uh, relates both to the, the the change itself, which uh, is exciting, um, and it's aligned with um, goals we have set ourselves um, uh, for this year, which I, I think I talked to some extent in March when I was here, uh, is that overall we want to decrease the challenge for new players and we want to increase the challenge for veterans playing EVE Online. Uh, EVE Online uh, has so many super smart players that to some extent the game has already been solved. Uh, the game was slowly turning into the purple donut everyone was fearing. Um, and that is like the end game solution state of like the chaos of EVE Online has just been reined into into order and everyone is slowly reaching a consensus on how things should be. Uh, and that is a clear signal to us that we need to increase the challenge and we need to shake things up. Uh, and uh, sort of with that challenge in mind, we walked into some of these things we've been doing over the summer and will continue to be doing, is that often we tend to overthink. We, we sometimes think we're so smart. We sit around the table and start to think through all the angles uh, and we've been taking a very different approach uh, with these changes, is that we're going to do more, um, I call them experiments, but obviously these are uh, calculated experiments, um, and they're a lot built on. We have a very clear direction on what we want to do. We want to increase the challenge for, for veterans, decrease the challenge for new players. Um, and we have uh, such uh, more robust data infrastructure so that it's much easier for us to to do experiments, which are quote-unquote, not fully thought through, and then track the changes and then come up with a hypothesis built on that. Um, when you have such a complicated system like EVE, which is so anthropologic, economical, socio-economical, I mean, there are so many variants, nobody like is smart enough to think through all the angles. So uh, we often get lost in our own thinking about it because we have so much access to what's going on that we feel like we should be able to. But I've frankly just uh, given up on that uh, line of thinking. It's just too slow. Uh, and, and to some extent, we've just been too slow because we are uh, trying to do the perfect thing. Uh, and as I often say, excellence, you know, perfection is the enemy of excellence. So uh, uh, I hope that you will see us do more like this, where we are making moves, we're making changes, we're tracking the progress, we have our overall hypothesis. Sometimes it works out. Something, sometimes something even more inspiring happens. Sometimes it doesn't work out and we need to tweak it. So um, I am hoping the tone we've set over the summer, which as some of you know, is like getting something done in Iceland in the summer is a, is a miracle. Uh, everyone needs to go and, and take care of the sheep over the summer. Um, uh, <laughs> So and, like uh, winter, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We coat during the winter and take care of sheep during summer. Uh, it's basically Iceland for you. Uh, then uh, uh, I, I hope once we get people back from a vacation, uh, you will see even more of that. Uh, and E-Online will enter into a very exciting sort of chaos era 
after a fairly stable uh, situation, which I think is turn, turning into, as I sometimes say, our sandbox uh, is turning into cement. Mm. Okay, so uh, chaos era. One, one second. Be before the chaos area, I just want to clear up that the uh, purple donut is very interesting. I haven't heard that before. Um, but that donut represents outlaw space, which circles empire space. So the donut hole is actually controlled empire space. The donut is the outside, it's lawless space, and that's where players kind of take over sovereignty. For those of you that don't understand what the donut references are, with either a blue donut or now a purple donut. Yeah, did I say purple? I thought I said blue. Uh, yeah. I I, what, did you, what did you guys hear? Anyway, I thought it was purple and I thought, yes, I thought I that's, that's brilliant. And of course, that's Hilmar like fourth dimension thinking because purple represents kill everybody outside your fleet. So it actually works the same way. If everybody's friends, you're killing everybody outside your, uh, your friend uh, circle. Let's roll with that. It's also uh, the color we've chosen uh, for a product development model we introduced earlier in the year called the Eve hierarchy of needs. Uh, which uh, starts with blue, purple, green, orange, and yellow. And it's kind of modeled after the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Uh, and, the, and the purple uh, rim in the pyramid is called cruel but fair, which matches the safety analogy of the Maslow hierarchy of needs. But obviously, there's no safety in Eve, so we call it cruel but fair. So in a way, uh, we're going to be increasing cruelty. Uh, uh, a challenge is the more politically correct word, but uh, I also like cruelty. Uh, Eve should be cruel but fair, and uh, and it's neither cruel but or fair uh, right now, uh, and it needs a major adjustment. Chaos era. We're coming yes. out to a chaos era. We we're thirteen days into this blackout, and we feel like players still feel like they're experimenting with. Uh, trying to find solutions to the state of what they are experiencing in Eve, and it still feels like there's more change coming. Does it? Does I? I'm hearing the word experiments. Does it sound to? Should we be expecting more experiments and more change coming to Eve? Yes. Uh, if we do our job well, uh, something should be changing every week. Uh, we want you on your toes. We want you uh, to feel like the blanket is being pulled underneath you every single week. So you're panicking all the time. The heart rate goes up. Uh, you need to take stress medicine to keep focus. Uh, that is the chaos era and uh, it is on. That's actually pretty nifty because um, at least in, in NullSec, a lot of the players, like the, the veteran players that you mentioned, and even some newer players that moved out there, it felt like the, the pendulum of like danger to safety has been like firmly in, in the, the direction of safety. And instead of letting it swing back gently, you guys just seem to be throwing it against the wall into the, you know, into the side of danger and, and chaos. Yes, absolutely. Um, if, you, if you've read the uh, very good sci-fi book, Three-Body Problem, uh, written by a Chinese author, it's phenomenally good. Some of the best sci-fi read in recent times. Uh, they talk about uh, the... Uh, Triclavians. They're actually not Triclavians, but <laughs> the Trisolaris. I wonder where that comes from. Um, oh. Which we, uh, live in a, 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 a triple star system, and uh, uh, the triple star system w once in a while aligns, and that introduces a chaos era to the Trisolari tri Trisolarians, not the Triclavians. I need to sort this in my head. Um, and uh, and uh, that is a bit the inspiration. We're we're now entering a chaos era. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, from from my point of view, you know, coming up on being a seventeen-year vet of Eve, 
for the last sort of, oh God, three, four, maybe five years, um, we've been in a position where Elise is entirely right. The, the pendulum has swung to the safety side of things and it's just sort of stopped. Um, and obviously when I, when I go down the avenue that I'm going, when I'm about to speak, I mean, no disrespect to the guys who spend all the time doing the leadership and logistics side of things. But, um, for me, I look at NullSec and I just, I just see it as kind of a wasteland of people who've bedded in and they're just happy in their little bubble, making a shitload of ISK, generally going about their day-to-day life in, Quite frankly, conditions that in a lot of instances are a lot safer than Empire because they have a big capital umbrella to sit under. They're very safe. They can, you know, AFK mine or they can AFK rat or they can just sit in an asteroid belt and do what the hell they want all day. They have, you know, people patrolling the space taking care of them. They have have the ability to travel over large distances pretty quickly with the infrastructure that's been set up. And I just think that um, we need to be in a position where there's a lot more unpredictability thrown into things. It goes for NullSec and for LowSec as well. Um, I really think we need to shake things up substantially and like and just rattle the cage and, and, and see who survives and who doesn't. Uh, Falcon, you were in the uh, Metasphere News recently with a post that you put on Reddit talking about uh, some of the stuff that you would have envisioned. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on what you wrote and uh, if you have any comments on it. Because it got a really good reception from a lot of players, it looked like. Yeah, I actually earned one and a half years of Reddit Premium out of that. Uh, there was I got upvoted and gilded that much. I was very surprised uh, because um, I was actually talking to a couple of guys internally, and uh, and we were talking about things that we that we'd like to do to Eve. Um, and a couple of the guys were like, "Wow, you're you're a lot more kind of hardcore thinking uh, than than the rest of us." And I was I kind of took that as a little bit of a badge of honor because. I mean, if, if, if it was up to me, it would be a, a horrible, harsh, dark, dystopian, nasty place where bad things happen. Um, and I'd really try and keep people on their toes as much as possible. I mean, you know, the uh, and, and when I say that, you know, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to the guys in dev. Uh, they've got a very hard job keeping the keeping the scales balanced in terms of keeping things running. Um, and they're, they're very busy doing a lot of good stuff for Eve. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, to, to, to put it as uh, I can't remember who. Who said it? But uh, if, 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 if it was up to me, Eve would be a, an absolute hellscape of just horror and terribleness. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd very, very harshly shake things up. Yeah. And, and, and obviously what, what is hard to do this is that when we sort of procedurally generated the puzzle that was even lined in the beginning and uh, not even us knew what the universe was like, it was made by a computer. Um, one of the elements we did not uh, fully factor in uh, is um, is something I call procedural regeneration. Is that uh, the 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 world as we built it was static um, because we never foresee we would be <clears throat> running the game for decades. Our wildest dreams was to run email line for five years and then do uh, something else. Um, and now when we're 16 years in, we we are limited a little bit by the uh, sort of initial conditions of the game. So um, this kind of uh, what ideally would be procedural regeneration, and hopefully we'll be able to build that in as we go. But uh, given the, uh, the, the, the state of the infrastructure, some of this needs to be done manually. Uh, and has to be done with a few kicks and a, and a few sort of, as I call it, chaos error. 
but we, uh, once we kind of move through that, then we maybe reach another degree of stability whenever that happens, that we sort of empower even line with the ability to procedurally regenerate itself. Um, and there are various tools and technologies today you can do to achieve that. And then we will keep the game uh, much more like nature on planet Earth, where, where there is an element of natural chaos built into the system. Uh, <clears throat> even if uh, at some point we might be able to calculate all the weather patterns, all the carbon dynamics, all the things that go into making uh, our planet, but still we're a long ways off. So it's kept, it's kept life interesting for, uh, for what, 300,000 years that Homo sapiens have, has been here. Uh, and uh, so while it's going to be some of what we're doing now, it's manual tweaks, it's, uh, it's uh, using tools we have, but uh, more operated by humans than I would like to be. I, I hope at some point we end up in the state where E1 line procedurally regenerates itself to the point where we are like freaked out about what's going on. And just a small comment on that, because you're pointing back to early Eve history and being a veteran myself, I was also around when, when all this was conceptualized and, and you put this into play and it was pretty much what hooked a lot of us. Uh, back then, we used to have a lot of training wheels. You put in a lot of training wheels in the form of NPC stuff to actually get the ecosystem started. Um, then you started rolling them back and removing them so we could pretty much run the whole ecosystem as player versus player. And I'm just wondering what went wrong, because it feels to me as if at some point you stopped trusting the simulation and kind of put in new training wheels and we're suffering from this today. Uh, are you thinking of removing those training wheels again and getting us back to being proper player versus player centric uh, ecosystems? Uh, so I think there are parts of the game where people have too many training wheels uh, and there are parts of the game where people need more training wheels. Uh, there, there's a certain uh, bifurcation to what we need to do. Um, uh, interestingly enough, we have made the situation for new players coming into EVE in 2019 worse than ever. And it's worse than ever uh, because the game has increased in complexity uh, so it's just more to learn. And there's, a, believe me, a lot more to learn. Um, and, and also, frankly, our latest iteration on the MPE is, uh, performs worse than what we had before. Uh, what we had before uh, was pretty good, but it had a lot of technical issues. It was hard to maintain. It was very monolithic and hard to improve upon. So we needed to put in place a, a, a better system to iterate on. Uh, but right now, the content of the system needs improvement. So, so we have done the reverse of what we should have done. We've made the life for new players harder, and we've made the plan, uh, the life of veterans easier. And just, just a small really correction. I was thinking of the ecosystem in the form of resources and resource gathering, um, not so much uh, NPE stuff. Yes. So uh, the, the, the problem with the resource gathering uh, goes back again into uh, uh, procedural regeneration is that the algorithms behind the scene are fairly static. Uh, fairly is probably even a compliment to them. Uh, <clears throat> and, and thus the landscape is not shifting underneath and nothing behaves like that. I mean, when you're strip mining in nature, you ruin the uh, earth beneath you. Uh, and uh, I personally have always had this fantasy about like, if you're strip mining, 
you 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 have scorched earth but if you're like manually mining in your little uh went through then okay then it's maybe environmentally safe uh which would then turn into offensive mining where you would go and mine in your enemy's territory to to ruin their territory which again is what people do in war like people go and burn cornfields uh, destroy uh infrastructure etc uh, and if it just doesn't have enough of that because the 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 mineral redistribution system is just too static and it doesn't take um input from the player action enough into account doing something like that would push eve more into like the weather system on planet earth which would make it more naturally unpredictable uh, so uh to your point um we have kind of in a way made everyone self-sufficient uh, at some point the, the mineral distribution was very asymmetric so we had to build alliances across the board to get everything, to piece everything together. Then uh, we made it symmetric, which was rather ridiculous, but whatever, uh, not everything you do <laughs> uh, is, is, uh, is gonna work out. Um, and, and we need to uh, not spool that back, but we need to sort of impugn Eve with its own ability to, to wreck chaos on some of these kind of fundamental input variables into what drives the rest of the economy. Yeah, because fundamentally you brought in anomalies which flattened everything. And then you brought in moon mining, which was potentially the most unique invention ever in node respawn mechanics. But it doesn't really have the effect yet because the other one is still running. Yes, uh, you are correct. Yeah, I mean, when you, um, when you look at sort of... Uh... When you look at the complexity of Eve over the years, I mean, Hilmar's entirely right. I can remember when uh, when I joined back in the day, and it was it was four classes of ships. It was frigate, cruiser, battleship, and industrial. Uh, that's what you had to choose from. Four races. Uh, there was nothing you could fly that was pirate. There was no T2. Um, and but back then, I mean, there was also no tutorial. You got dumped into space in a in a rookie ship with a with a Concorde drone orbit and you in an asteroid belt, and you basically had to figure out how to kill the Concorde drone before it killed you. Um, and that was that was basically the tutorial. It was, you know, it was, it was, there's a station, go on your way, uh, young whippersnapper. Um, and that was how things worked. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree that we've, we've added so many systems in over the last 16 years that uh, Eve has just become, it's become the sprawling web of, uh, of games within games, effectively. I mean, you have PR, you have the soft system, you have, I mean, you could, you could, conceptually, you could think of ship fitting and ship simulation uh, entirely as its own game. Um, so there's there's so many different facets to Eve, and uh, and I do agree that uh, we've made life way too easy for those players that also that already have the uh, sort of the institutionalized established knowledge, and we made it very difficult for new players to come into the game and actually uh, to compete at the same level. So we definitely need to look at uh, at how we onboard people and how we bring in, and the numbers show that. Uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of shaking things up, I mean I couldn't agree more. Um, I'd love to see a, a situation where. Uh, you know, we have we have diminishing depletable resources where, for instance, if you want to corner the tech two market, you can't necessarily, you know, find an area of space and get everything you want from that area of space to be able to build T2 ships. You're going to need to trade. You're going to need to barter. You're going to need to deal with other people who hold other areas of space on the opposite side of the map in order to get everything you need to build a ship. Um, I think it's just it's natural that uh, when you compare EVE to, to Earth or you compare EVE to the wider, you know, the wider solar system, the different resources are going to be located in different areas. Different people are going to have different grasps on things. And 
you uh, it really really strengthens the economy and it strengthens it strengthens player to player interaction if you actually have the ability to to rely on others to be able to get the job done. We see what you're doing with uh, making we're trying to make things easier to onboard for new players. You've also got long term players, people who've been around a long time, and you can break those players down into some that are more risk aversive, maybe more conservative, some that are more aggressive and willing to try new stuff and and don't care if their ship blows up or uh, there are different personalities behind it. If Eve, if New Eden is going to become a, a more dangerous place, uh, if an era of chaos is coming in, uh, to us, we're going to want to bring along some of the more conservative ones a, a bit and, and maybe... Uh, coax them along the way so we don't scare them off immediately. Is that is this part of your plan too? Or or is it more part of like you you're using some of the upcoming events to portray maybe some of the vision and get them on board that way, emotionally? <clears throat> so um um I mean I, I actually thought a lot about this. Uh maybe it's just time to just let it slip into being a country for old men like myself. Uh, and uh, maybe it's just time. Um, and uh, what actually gave me uh, uh, an interesting signal in that it wasn't time for that is, um, well, one is that we've been doing experiments uh, on the customer acquisition side and marketing. And we have a tremendous amount of an ability to generate interest in the game. We are now up to about 16,000 people log in for the first time every week, uh, which is a lot for a 16-year-old MMO. It, it's a lot. It is. Uh, and uh, and these are people that like go through the sign-up forum, download the launcher, download the download on demand, go and create a character, and, and God knows what, 16,000 people per week, new players. Um, so that's one variable. And then the adoption rate of the 64-bit client <clears throat> surprised me. Uh, we got 40% of EVE players to uh, adopt it as an optional beta uh, with very sort of obscure concrete benefit uh, other than it really performs better in fleet fights and, and, and elements like that, which is maybe not the everyday activity for everyone all the time. But 40% of players that jump on something like this, which is um, uh, new technology, um, uh, indicates that we have a higher degree of innovators over kind of late adopters uh, than I estimated to be the case at this point in time. Um, so that gave me sort of a, a different way to think about it. Maybe it's time. Uh, maybe it's not time. Maybe there is uh, there is uh, growth ahead of uh, for Eve Online. Uh, and uh, based on the inflows, based on how the response has been to the uh, relatively crazy things. I wouldn't call them crazy, but they're maybe crazy in line with what we usually do uh, over the summer. Uh, and the response has been generally good, and both in terms of the anecdotal response, but also in terms of the data. Uh, so I just think we have uh, a lot less conservative people than uh, you might maybe think, uh, given a game uh, at this uh, point in time. But uh, I mean, obviously, the, the main element is like Eve is designed like a difficulty mountain, which is a sort of a game design theory of like, you just allow people to go up the difficulty mountain as how as high as you want to, as you want to go, and then you just find your knees. So 
in a way, the difficulty mountain is broken. It doesn't go high enough and it doesn't go low enough. So it's about like metering out the difficulty curve in a different way, like reducing it for new players, mid-core players, and maybe some people also just want to uh, chill out. And if I do a lot of that, believe me, like listening to science podcasts, mining and high sec and doing planet uh, project discovery i sometimes do that on sundays when i just my brain needs a break from life uh so i mean that's also fine but i i do that even though i've been playing it for 16 years i just chill out in high sec and and do <laughs> mildly idle mining with uh, with science podcasts and and uh, project discovery i love it and like i'm finding planets and listen to neil de jerry's talk about something at the same time um so um, due to this sort of difficulty mountain design, it's more about like pulling off, like, okay, we used to build Mount Everest as a difficult mountain. Uh, there is now a queue of people waiting to get to the top. Kind of that image is kind of the good image for E-Online. And now we need to do Mount Olympus on Mars, which is like, like the biggest mountain in the solar system. Like it just needs to be a lot more challenging and a lot bigger, but it doesn't mean that you're removing all the gradient from the top down to the down to the bottom. So I hope by just like making the difficulty mountain taller and the gradient in the beginning a little uh, milder, we will get everyone into what we call float st flow state in, in game design, where you are kind of in your sort of skill versus challenge uh, ratio. Uh, and, and, and it's more about that. It's not like raining chaos on all of EVE Online. It is about like, making parts of EVE Online extremely challenging. Uh, and, uh, and then people pick that rim and they live in a risk-reward dynamic as a result. And also, to Hilma's point, uh, the stagnation sometimes also just makes people more risk-averse than they are in their natural habitat. Uh, by shaking things up, they see that we are shaking things up. And I mean, EVE players in general are hardcore and I'm sure they will adapt to uh, the chaos as well. And the second point is, uh, we are also just seeing the players players coming back because of these chaotic changes, because EVE players seem to love chaos. That's interesting. The, the risk-averse thing that you just brought up, uh, I saw a video where if, some, if you ask somebody, I'll give you $10, uh, if you, uh, if I flip the coin and you actually call what it is, heads or tails, um, and if you lose, I'll take only $1, that people still wouldn't take that bet because it's a one-time event and they feel like it's too risky. But if you say, we'll do it a hundred times, they're totally willing to do that a hundred times because the frequency of, of means the frequency of it happening a hundred times means they'll get a chance at least to win a few times. And that gets them to, to go over that risk aversion. And so I wonder if all this chaos does the same thing in that there's so many people dying that you won't be humiliated or lose really uh, badly uh, because there's just so many things going on. Everybody's losing and therefore it's okay to lose. Uh, interesting that you bring up this uh, example because uh, what you're describing is the human learning loop. Like uh, humans learn the most from failure. And if anyone has gotten everywhere, anywhere in email line, it's mostly through failure. Uh, and uh, if you have a one-time experiment, which has a failure state and, uh, and there is no follow-on, there's nothing to learn. Like you cannot master it. And obviously random coin tosses, you cannot master. Uh, 
but still the learning loop of a human isn't sophisticated enough that if we see a pattern, we try to learn it, even if we know it's random. Uh, so that's why like people would do it if it is if if you offer multiple chances because extremely instinctually we we think okay i will be able to master it through trial and error until i i do and and if you end up in a in a state with even online where people have mastered the chaos so well that there is no failure state left there's nothing left to learn and thus even online is no longer engaging if even online introduces a, 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 a heightened failure state, like making the difficulty mountain polar, there are more ways for people to fail, which are currently only succeeding. And if you're only succeeding, you just become bored. Uh, nobody likes a, 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 a win button, press this button and win. Uh, you, you, you just lose interest and you, and you leave. So you need to introduce elements for people to, to be able to fail. Otherwise, you don't learn. If you're, and, you're, and if you're not learning, you won't play any computer game or any puzzle or anything. Uh, usually all games, uh, it's, a, it's a fundamental mammalian instinct to play, to learn. All oh. mammals operate like that. And as do we. I love I love the, how that works, but it, it is incredibly interesting that um, uh, another book that I read not long ago was the uh, I think it was called The Attention Merchants by Wu I, I think professor from uh, Princeton talking about how how people work to gather our attention and how that's evolved from radio all the way up into the internet and one of the things he talks about was uh, video games and the arcades and how those popped up and that people played this incredibly tough game called. Um, space invaders. And the tougher it was, the more quarters they would put into that thing. And it ended up making billions. Uh, I believe it was billions, but anyway, more than uh, the films that were being released that summer, like I think Jaws or whatever. So it was a blockbuster success and it was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Uh, oh, sorry. Even right, Line is closing in on a billion and, uh, and getting to a billion is going to involve making it harder for veterans and easier for noobs. Closing in on a billion. Wow. Yes. Wow. We'll just, uh, we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Falcon, did you have something? Yeah, I mean, just when we were talking about sort of um, the state of things in terms of difficulty and when we're talking about the blackout in particular, um, I mean, it, it's pretty evident what Hilmar was saying when you look at activity since the blackout started. I mean, um, yes, the, the monthly economic report for, for July and probably into August as well is going to look very bizarre because there's certain metrics that are going to change drastically uh, based on player activity. But um, it's interesting that even when you separate out uh, sort of the, um, the uh, daily login event that we've had around, uh, uh, around the claim and skill points and then obviously the, the other stuff in the season of skills as well uh, that's just started today with the... Um, with the um, the uh, claiming uh, NPC bounty skill based stuff. Um, it's just, it's incredible to see when you separate that out that the activity is still there. Um, you've, you know, we've seen things like uh, the ISK faucet from bounties drop drastically um, because people are like, oh, I, I don't want to go in my anomalies if I can't see what's in local. And I'm scared because there's, you know, there's recon ships out there that aren't going to appear on D scan. And I don't know whether I'm going to get jumped in my expensive ship, but guess what? Shit's still blowing up. People are still jumping through Stargate. Things are still happening. Ships are still dying. 
things are still being mined, resources are still flowing, and it's not the end of the world. Um, the activity is still there. Um, it's just the activity has shifted, um, and people are moving on to doing different things, and they're adapting and they're trying new things. And if we can share, we can sort of like shake the sandbox up a little bit and get people to try new things and try and uh, and realize that hey, you know, that risk adversity doesn't necessarily need to prevent you from uh, from trying out new things in, in Eve. Then I think it's a good thing for everyone. It exposes people to uh, different types of gameplay. It, ex- ex- it exposes people to more risk. Um, and for me, even 13 days in, um, I mean, I'm a bit biased as a veteran of EVE, but 13 days into the blackout, I'd say so far it's been in, like an enormous success. And I'm very happy looking at metrics to see how things have gone. So, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 produced some very, very interesting results so far. And it's it's nowhere near over. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. How long do you think it'll take to stabilize based on our current trajectory? Not, not turned off or anything, just stabilize where the players have their head around what to do. It's it, it hard to run that simulation based on just 13 days of data. Yeah. Uh, and we're also kind of in summer and, and there's also a lot of other things going on. So there won't really just be this one event to deal with. Uh, there will be a lot of things going on. So um, while you might try to draw some trajectory onto stability based on 13 days, then uh, there's just going to be a lot of different things happening in the coming weeks, which are going to destabilize the system further. So people will have constantly new things to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you've also got to get a handle on what do you mean by stability? I mean, do you mean DAU? Do you mean CCU? Do you mean stable MAU? Do you mean activity in the game in terms of people getting out and doing stuff? It's it's really, I mean, for nearly 17 years now, EVA's always been treading new ground. I mean, there's there's no game that has a similar sort of economy. There's there's no title out there that has similar sorts of player interactions where everyone's in the same environment utilizing the same resources. You know, um, so it's 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 kind of unprecedented and we're always treading new ground when we do stuff like this. So it, it is really difficult to predict things. I mean, you can predict player behavior, but you can never predict how things are going to go beyond sort of like uh, beyond kind of making an educated guess. So it's um, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a very, very interesting social experiment. Yeah, it's definitely a social, like you guys were saying that it's hard to figure out what's going to happen um, and that you guys... Eh, in a way, kind of gave up trying to, to extrapolate all human behavior. Um, but the players of EVE Online actually kind of do the same thing. So uh, a lot of the players have been saying, oh, what do you think th- What do you think their end result is going to be, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's so funny to hear uh, CSB Falcons say that the metrics are saying that people are still out in space because from the, the in my like sphere of influence, I guess, um, it seemed like a lot of players, when the NullSec blackout happened, and then Z Killboard turned everything off. And then Dotland turned everything off. They were like, oh, shit, what do we do? Um, and so they were kind of like looking side to side, looking to their peers to see what their peers were doing. Um, and then eventually they were just like, you know what, screw it. Like, I don't want to be sitting here in limbo. I'm just going to be the I'm going to be the guy that goes out and makes that money. Um, and then kind of their peers started saying, oh, shit, OK, well, he's doing it. I'll do it, too. And it does kind of feel like we're entering that stage where people are kind of getting off the pot a little bit and, and kind of putting their foot in the deep end just to see what would happen. Um, I, I guess one of my, my main questions is I was chatting with CCB Burger, who is incredibly fascinating. Uh, if you ever go to an Eve meet and CCB Burger is there, I suggest you, you get him a beer and talk to him for a little bit. Um, but he was saying 
uh, yeah, what my my background is in hardware. And when you make a mistake in hardware, things like, completely break and explode. So moving to a software environment, he, he just eked out at the idea of being able to try new stuff. And he's like, well, the worst th- case that happens is we get to see like the effects of it, like nothing fundamentally breaks, nothing explodes. Um, and I was wondering, is that sort of uh, the mindset that you guys have going into this whole chaos era thing? Uh, yeah, the mindset is definitely just acting more and thinking less. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to think anything through, but it's just, it's more valuable uh, to make a change and uh, and track the impact it's having rather than try to go into your sort of Asperger mind and try to uh, extrapolate all the moving variables uh, uh, and, until the cows come home. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is just a mode of managing things. So, um, uh, and I, I'm not really sort of criticizing per se what we have done in the past. It, it's not like what we were doing before was all bad. And like, it, it's nothing like that. It's just, it feels like now is the time for this. Now is the time for a chaos era. And the chaos era involves a lot of experimentation. It involves a lot of changes. It involves a lot of frequency, much more rapid fire action from CCP than you're used to. Uh, ideally, uh, some things should be changing every week. Uh, some of them are big swathing changes. Uh, some of them will be wildly unpopular. Uh, some of them will be wildly popularistic, unpopular or a bit popular uh, behind the scenes, like it's going to be any bit's way of this. This and uh, and we have just um, uh, well, we, we've done little of that in the past years, but now we're going to do more, and that's going to bring about a different state. Uh, but I very strongly believe that is what Eve needs right now, uh, and then we just sort of move through it as we move through it all together as we have, and we will end up hopefully 18 months from now in a, in a place which is a much more exciting and dynamic place than uh, what we were in uh, at the beginning of the year. And I mean, we are closely monitoring what is happening. It's not like we're running around turning screws and then running to the next one and just bl- being blind. These are calculated risks that we are watching. Yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, sort of uh, during my slight Reddit rampage uh, earlier in the week, um, I've been of the firm view for a long time that the meta and Eve, null sec, low sec, and high sec, just all over the map, needs a really, really good kick in the ass to get things moving again, to get people driven into conflict. Um, I feel like people have sort of, you know, they've built their castles and they're happy to sit behind the walls uh, under the protection of a moat and just say, this is my stuff, this is where I'm staying, you know, kind of fuck the rest of you guys, like, this is, this is my empire. Um, and like, I, I want us to be in a position where we can promote conflict. And, uh, the way that I've been looking at it is, I mean, obviously, you know, no one knows everything about Eve. Uh, there's no one that, uh, that has the, the all C and I, but when I've been thinking about suggestions of what we could do to shake the box up, I've just been sort of listening to something, thinking about a problem that we have, thinking about a solution, three bullet points that are a pro that are pros, three bullet points that are cons. And if the pros outweigh the cons, I'm thinking, yep, I'm going to float this as an idea and, and we'll see what happens. Um, and then, you know, as both um, 
Hilmar and Goodfellow have said, like we're looking at things super carefully and everyone's constantly got their eye on metrics. We're constantly looking at how players are reacting to the changes that are being made. Um, and there's no saying that, you know, we couldn't go back and tweak things if we feel that we've overstepped something or if we feel that we've, you know, impacted the meta in a way that we we don't feel is is, is positive in nature. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that sort of, I'm, I'm in the same ballpark as Hilmar, I hope is in like 12 to 18 months we've got a, a, a chaos-ridden, you know, hellscape of lunatics that are they're all having fun together and blowing shit up i mean it would be wonderful to see eve go back to sort of you know the the 2007 to the 2009 era so many games right now are are focusing on hey we're going to release a classic version of our title product and i'm firmly of the view that we don't need an eve classic or an eve 2 we have an incredible game with unbelievable cornerstones, a fantastic community, and we just need to make the right set of changes that are going to drive it back into a just into a golden area of glorious carnage again. And that's all we that's all we need. We just need a few tweaks here, a few changes there, um, and we'll be in a position where Eve's just kicking ass again, and it, and it's at the front page of every news site because you guys are doing crazy fun shit. Um, that's the objective for us, in my eyes, at least. I'd just like to comment a little bit on what both Falcon and, and Hilmer has, has pointed out and, and pointing back to the old days. Whether or not people, are, or especially in, in CCP, are aware of how the things changed uh, in the unmentionable year, that suddenly it feels as if we shifted from where organizations were actively trying to get more warm hands into their corporations to actually work. because the new player had extremely high value because of the resource system. But now, because of the new resource system, especially things like anomalies, you can laterally just extend with uh, alt accounts and multiboxing, and the value of the individual player has dropped, right? So now it's the individual new player that has to uh, try to get into the big organizations instead of the other way around. Back in the day, we used to compete for new players because they had such a high value. I'm, I'm just thinking back when we struggled, but when the game was really growing because new players had an actual value. Yes, uh, absolutely. You were in a way uh, describing a situation which people are worried about in reality. So is AI and robots going to take our jobs? Uh, yes, it happened in online and it happened the way you described it. The, the work of humans has been devalued against the work of uh, robots and power tool playing, uh, like you were describing. And this needs to be adjusted such that the work of humans in human line is has a higher value than the work of robots. And that has a lot to do with what I was saying before, the difficulty mountain, because the best way to uh, uh, make work for humans is to make uh, real puzzle solving, creativity based social work uh, rather than work for robots is monotonous, predictable, uh, uh, maybe low reward and low risk. But uh, if you can automate it and you can do it at scale, then you can then you can gain a lot. And even line, unfortunately, just is in a place where this balance is off. Just a small follow up, because I, I don't know if, if people are aware that in many other games out there, there's a lot of uh, attempts to design AI or algorithms around this. But EVE is in a very unique position where it's got enough capacity to actually pull out a lot of those training wheels when it comes to these things. So again, trusting the simulation, because then 
botting and AIs, whether it's AIs from players in the case of botting, which is illegal, or in the case of a, an algorithm from CCP, these will all be broken potentially unless they're extremely high end, right? But if it's player versus player activity without any of those training wheels, you can't really game it. You can't predict which uh, mooning platform is going to be attacked. You can't predict which field is going to be fallowed. All of these things are unpredictable if it's players doing it. Yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I have no argument. You're almost uh, sprouting out the design principles of Evenline. So Thank you. <laughs> He's been here a while. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask is there was, uh, again, this whole blackout, uh, I, I assume as part of the chaos theory, um, is that um, information went away, right? No people in local. But one of the bigger things that were, was more disruptive was actually the effect that turning off the third party calculators, we'll call them, websites that give you information about EVE Online went off as well in solidarity with what you were up to. Uh, one of the main ones was uh, Dotland, but also Izzy Killboard, which shows you how many kills your fleet is doing almost real time. And I, I heard that that was more disruptive than actually not knowing who was in the same system with you. Does, does that tell you something about the nature of how much information you're giving out um, that players can use to have advantage when they're fighting? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, um, uh, again, when I said cruel but fair is the, is the rim number two in the hierarchy of needs, is that in some ways the, the game is not fair uh, because some people have made an industry out of the data we provide. Uh, and some of the some people have even uh, closed them off and have their own special uh, source uh, to build protection through sort of um, IT prowers, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, I, I thought it was amazingly inspiring that uh, the these sites were playing along with the blackout. I like speaking of things you wouldn't expect, as we were talking about before. I did not expect that, uh, and uh, I. I it warmed my heart when I when I saw that sort of spontaneously happen, uh, and also uh, uh, it did surprise me how much those sites play a part in 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 the opsec environment we have today, uh, and I think that is something we need to look into. How do we how do we um, sort of limit some of that perfect visibility? Uh, because there is like if you just think about like warfare in the future. There would always be ways to obfuscate what you're doing. Uh, uh, man would come up with ways to be more covert than uh, what these things allow for. Uh, nobody has perfect information like this in any warfare. So um, there is something that needs to be addressed there too. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. It was uh, just just for the record, um, we had no idea that uh, that both Squiz and uh, Wolari were going to turn off Dotlan and uh, and Zekil. Uh, Squiz actually came to me, I think, like 36 hours before he was going to do it, and he was like, "By the way, <laughs> Zekil's going to go offline for like the first weekend," and I'm like, "That's super awesome! Like, it's really nice." But um, on the uh, on the the topic of intelligence tools and how much uh, we expose, I mean, I think the uh, I think this uh, blackout is really, at least for me personally, it's highlighted the fact that, guess what, you don't need to have an, uh, an unquestionable intelligence source and you need to be able to have fun. Um, I mean, I'd love to see us be in the position where 
you know, intelligence brokering um, and intelligence gathering was an actual career in Eve where you could make money out of it. And it was a it was a skill set that you could acquire, like a diplomat or a fleet commander, where you could be an actual intelligence specialist. I'd love to see a world where there was no local, where you didn't get information on what's two jumps out. And you actually had to have people who were specialized in gathering information, brokering information, brokering intelligence, you know, finding out where a hostile alliance is starting to build up, uh, build up a cat fleet somewhere, being able to actually also hide your tracks. I mean, this goes back right through the history of modern warfare where, you know, where before the Allies invaded Europe, they were putting big piles of inflatable tanks and aircraft in fields to try and confuse German intelligence. Um, and what's to say the in the future there wouldn't be an EVE Online where, where you know, intelligence gathering was a, was a sport or an actual career where you would fly a drone into an area of space and, and find out what's going on, or you would send a probe into an area of space and look at uh, look to see what hostiles are doing before you went in and invaded. I think it could be really, really interesting. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've proven over the course of the last 13 days that it can it can kind of throw a little bit of chaos into the mix it and it can give people a lot of fun to try and have to think outside of the box when you know when the fog of war descends and uh, and you've got to you've got to sort of think about exactly how you're going to approach a situation tactically uh, it's uh, it's a really really refreshing uh, a breath of fresh air um and it's even had me thinking as well i mean i i went out and i started hunting people for the first time in God, six years, I think. Um, I actually did piracy uh, for the first time since I've come to CCP um, over the course of this blackout, and it's been absolutely incredible. It felt it felt like old Eve again for that those fleeting few hours, and uh, and it was absolutely fucking incredible. I just enjoyed it, um, and that's what I'd love to get back to. I'd love to see you know dirty old rough around the edges Eve again, where you can where you can have some fun and you've got these awesome stories. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it personally. Did, did you ransom anyone? I, I actually ransomed 18 people in 13 days, so I'm not doing so bad. Did you honor your ransoms? That's what I want to know. Absolutely. And uh, just uh, when Seekill went in the blackout, what was the most amazing to me was to see the positive discussion about it online. Like players are really enjoying this new mystery about uh, logging in and, and, and roaming around. Yeah, I mean to to back that up, it was it was more, it was it was funny that like um, it was unintentional, but both Zekiel and um, and Dotland turned this around on us, where they turned all these services off, and then and then uh, the community was sort of like CCP, why aren't you guys doing this? Like, why didn't you guys do this? Why didn't you turn everything off along with local and like really put us in the dark? Um, and there's, a, I, I love it how there's always that hardcore element of the community who are like, we're like, oh, turning local off. This is going to really rustle some jimmies. And then there's this group within the community who are like, no, we want it harder. Really, really make us painful. Like, make this hurt. Like, I want to be like bleeding from my ears and my eyes when I'm done with this. And uh, and yeah, it's 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 awesome to see that that drive, that that hardcore element of our community is still there, and that people just you know they get kicked in the nuts and they're like, right, I'm standing up, let's do it again, and it's it's wonderful. It's it, it just gives me hope. Yeah, but there, Paul is Paul is exactly mentioning like a difficulty mountain. There are people that want to go and climb Mount Olympus on Mars. They're tired of Mount Everest, and there are people that just want to walk up the hill, like the the. The, the element of, of, of Eve is that it, it, it is to some, some extent like, okay, it's not tall enough, but it's also too homogenous. Like 
there isn't like a natural landscape where you can kind of pick your difficulty rim like that. Some people want to bleed from the eyes and ears. Where is that place in Eve? And okay, maybe it's in wormholes, but still we can go even deeper than that. And I mean, this is the perfect analogy, right? Because like people are, you know, 50 years ago, climbing Everest was the peak of the, it was the peak of the pain mountain. But now people die in the queue waiting to take a selfie at the summit. And it's like, Oh, this is what it's become. And I think this is a perfect parallel to what Eve has become, where 10 years ago, it was a bastard to take and hold sovereignty. It was terrible. It was grueling. You had to go through all of this stuff. And now you take sovereignty and you can sit down and, and it's it's just a fun thing that, that, that people have. And there's a super cap umbrella. And once you've got sovereign, you're, you're, you're in a, a really comfortable position. You're, you're doing fine. Um, so yeah, it's become it's almost become like Everest, and now people want to take it one step further. And I think I think tipping the scales a little bit and messing with people is is you know is going from Everest to, uh, to you know climbing Mount Olympus on Mars. I think that's a good analogy. That first weekend, I was one of the people that was surprised that Zeke Hillboard turning off had just as much impact, maybe more, as no local. I, I that happened. I felt that as as the weekend progressed. But there's another source of intel that's very powerful that we're not talking about so far, and that is the uh, espionage thing. When when people have ears on your comms and are relaying everything going on in your fleet, uh, when they're relaying your targets, when you have people in their comms telling you exactly how many uh, they formed up, who their backup FC is, who their Logi anchor is, that takes a lot out of a, a fight, uh, in my opinion. You, you now have to talk to your fleet, assuming they can hear everything you're saying. So you can't explain anything to the new bros as you go. You have to just sort of go bark orders cryptically, have them, uh, have them followed uh, uh, slavishly, and then, and just try to um, and your experienced people know what's going on, and your newbies are are lost half the time. Uh, are there any thoughts about making espionage counterplay more supported in Eve? So, so with this, you're you're <clears throat> um, describing a very human condition of trust and. Uh, and who you fly with and things like that. I, I think it is hard to build um, sort of stable system to allow people to organize with perfect trust of other humans at scale. So um, I think before we start to dabble in those kind of things, we have more sort of fundamental elements in the, in the more basic aspects of Eve. Uh, but I would love, like one of the great thing about Eve is that we offer people tools to achieve social organization at scale. Uh, like we were talking about last time, uh, it, it was so well described in the, in the book Sapiens uh, by Harari, where he describes the unique ability of humans to organize at scale. We have insects, we can organize at scale, but not flexibly. And we can have all the primates, which can organize, but not at scale. And humans can flexibly organize at scale. And that is our ability to build memes, religions, control structures, etc. And that is in a way where we want to keep Alliance challenges. And that's to the point we were talking about earlier, that it's an infinitely scalable challenge when you're organizing groups of people against other groups of people. So, so these kind of aspects, like you're describing, I, I, 
uh, they're not a priority right now. We, uh, there's just more basic stuff we need to do. But uh, developing some of those aspects of EVE, uh, I, I think is uh, uh, there is a point in time where we need to get going on those. But for the next, uh, at least for the remainder of this year, you will be seeing us in this, uh, in the EVE hierarchy of needs. It's the physical layer, which is EVE 64, operational stability, new launcher, Teratex 12, these kind of technical foundations. It's the cruel but fair, which we have not been talking about for an hour. Then it's the friendship machine, which we talked about uh, in March, where E-Online has this amazing ability to generate new friendships. Then it's esteem, which goes into a lot of these kind of higher end elements where E-Online is the hardest game in the world. It has the most stories. It has like a, there's a lot of esteem that comes from being an EVE player. And then it's the self-actualization where people transcend themselves and become the best version of themselves, grow up, become better people. I've seen a lot of people go through E-Online and come out uh, the best version of themselves as a result. Um, and I would love to kind of build it up uh, in a way again, but we need to go to the bottom like shore up the technical foundation, shore up Fair, the economy, all these elements we've been talking about, then harness the friendship machine, then build out the steam layer even more, and then uh, actualization. And then we probably need to go another circle because a whole decade has passed and now we're setting even line up for the fourth and fifth decade. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's insane just to think... Uh, you know, what's happened over the last sort of 16, 17 years. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys, Hilmar's talking around, where I, I started playing EVA at age 18 and, uh, and I was the quietest guy in the world. Uh, and now I can get up on stage in front of thousands of people at FanFest and, uh, and Vegas and whatnot and, uh, and be out there and actually speaking publicly. That would have terrified me uh, before I started playing EVA. It's entirely changed who I am as a person. But I think um, we also, when we're talking about, you know, cruel and fair, um, and we're talking about the friendship machine. Um, I often fall down on the, the sort of the more hardcore side of gameplay where I'm like, make everything be horrible, make everything be nasty, murder, murder, death, kill, kill. Uh, that generally tends to be my mantra, but we also need to understand as well that uh, some of these friendships also don't come from destroying things. They come from building things together. I mean, perfect example of this was uh, uh, one, one example that I love to use is ISS back in the day. Um, all they did was run an IPO and put together the most incredible network of stations in, in the early years of EVE, there's so many positive things that come out of also um, not taking away intelligence tools and making people guess and not making things crazy and chaotic and hard, but giving people the ability to harness the friendships that you created and, uh, and giving them the ability to actually uh, to build something together. So while we, we're definitely looking to make more areas of the game challenging and to really challenge our vets as well, we need to, you know, there needs to be care in, in, in other areas of the game as well. There needs to be care on the PVE side of the game, the industrial side of the game too. Um, and I think that everyone agrees that there's areas of the game all over the place that have uh, that haven't been prioritized for a long time that uh, that really need some love. So yeah, it's um, I think it's um, it's looking at Eve as a whole really and, and looking at a little bit of a renaissance uh, across the board. Um, and while I do tend to stick to the hardcore side of the game uh, purely because of the fact that that's what I enjoy in terms of game, and there's uh, there has to be a balance, right? There has to be a, there has to be um, a cycle of destruction uh, and rejuvenation, um, and and those friendships that we're talking about building, and that that layer of the the Eve hierarchy of needs that's all about the friendship machine uh, needs to be needs to be really strong. And some of that strength comes from collaboration, not just blowing the shit out of each other. So it's uh, definitely is is, is a scale, uh, and you've got to look at balancing it really nicely.
Yeah, balance is a is it's a tricky thing. It's actually funny you say that the like you were looking at certain areas of the game. Uh, I was talking to uh, Rick Stravix the other day, and he was like just out of his mind excited because uh, Hilmar had tweeted something about, oh, I hate warp core stabs. And it just eked him out. It's something that he had loved for, or something that he had loved to hate for like as long as he's played Eve. And just this one little simple tweet uh, and it just, his world is blown up. And then we were talking to uh, another guy in the faction warfare community. And he was like, oh, Hilmar, join my Discord channel. Like, holy shit, what do I do? This is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in Eve. Uh, maybe like this is going to get some love and it's just uh, really funny to, to hear you have a, a similar um, a similar take on that. But what I wanted to jump back to really quick, quickly was about the, the social structures of Eve um, for the last, I'd say four years or so. It felt like uh, at least the high end gameplay of Eve was balanced on uh, what, what kind of I call the, the complexity creep, you know, um, just making just kind of instead of making ships more powerful or anything, just making uh, you, you need to have more organizational structure uh, in order to grow. Um, and it kind of led to one of Eve's like unofficial axioms uh, called Malkanis's Law uh, by a player, former CSM Malkanis. And it's it's kind of the, the crux of it is uh, the more complex things get, the, the more the larger groups have an advantage because they have that uh, like human potential there to to deal with that complexity um, and kind of seemed like the knockoff effect of, of the complexity creep, which by all accounts, like if you thought about it as a thought experiment, it would kind of shake things up a lot. It kind of just homogenized the, a lot of the player base and kind of made them all kind of group up together. Um, is there a fear that that swapping from the complexity creep to the chaos creep, I guess, and pulling that mountain up higher, um, is there a fear that that's going to have a similar effect that the player is just going to say, Oh shit, the world is falling. I need to get to my closest friends and just stay friends forever. Um, or do you think the that kind of that effect was more caused by stagnation than anything else? Uh, so you actually touched upon a thing which was related to what Rick was talking about uh, with the OPSEC and the fleet. So the the um, um, the more tools you give to players to engineer trust amongst people away, the more large-scale impersonal groups you can organize. And you could call it complexity creep, but it actually is more of a reducing the need for trust creep through tools. Um, and, and you can see this in reality. A small startup is more engaging and endearing than a huge conglomerate. Because a huge conglomerate relies on control structures and mechanisms and chain of commands and things like that to organize humans at scale. And that becomes very impersonal. And the more tools we give to people to do that, the more you will have this uh, complexity creep you're talking about. So uh, there are ways to force that not to be possible through the environment. Um, again, we were talking about climbing Mount Everest. Okay, it was originally just do by done by two people, uh, and now it's an enterprise of, of getting uh, uh, people with means up to, month, up to the queue to take a selfie. Um, and uh, we can, through the environment, uh, make it such that you will have to trust people more because the cost of somebody stabbing you in the back becomes so high that you 
naturally have to shrink down your trust circle because you really want the people with you that you can really rely on because now you're doing something super dangerous. And if somebody isn't either worthy of their trust because he's not good enough or he is uh, playing for the other side, the devastation is so harsh that you will not take them unless you are really their friends. Uh, and that's why this aspect of the friendship machine I was talking about earlier is so important. We've even made, uh, there's even a formula on how you make a friend. It's like proximity, duration, frequency, intensity. It takes about four, uh, 400 hours to make an acquaintance. It takes about 800 hours to make a certain type of friends. It takes a certain amount of intensity. That's why people that go to war together are, have accelerated growth in terms of their friendships. And many veterans describe online to similar effects. So when we get to that moment where we are enhancing the friendship machine, now we're still in the physical and corporate fair layer, that's it. Next up is the friendship machine. There we will uh, start to engineer aspects of the way where trust becomes the fundamental currency it needs to be in Eve. Because what you're describing as this and this effect I've never heard about. Uh, <clears throat> Um, it, it is just the tip of an iceberg that has to do with the fact if you give people tools to engineer trust away, you will leverage the people that are able to uh, create complexity structure where they don't need human relationship to hold them together. Uh, and, uh, and, and we want Eve to be the game where you will always win through like an insanely tight knit group that have really built trust together, they will always stand a chance against larger conglomerates because that is what happens in reality. That's why startups disrupt the status quo because a startup uh, of, of young kids is able to run circles around old established companies because they have higher amount of trust, faster ability to move, uh, and thus they disrupt the status quo. And when even line does not have these qualities naturally built in, then you will just end up with this stagnation where like people have so much ability to logistify impersonally their, 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 their mechanisms that you will end up in this where the stagnation, that's how the stagnation sets in. Is there any kind of balancing that with um, strangers playing together that is there anything like new players that are coming? How hard is it for them to get Involved. Yeah. Uh, so uh, obviously now we're talking climbing Mount Olympus on Mars. That's where that needs to be the affair. But now if we wheel back to your first year of Evaline, uh, then obviously we need more ways to uh, to create proximity and duration where people have the ability to meet with strangers in a non-freaky way and do something together. And then, hey, Simon, we're always here flying together. Uh, what uh, do you like to do outside of let's, Eve? Let's take the next uh, step in our relationship. Exactly. Uh, share a secret, which is usually the, 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 the milestone in a friendship where you share something uh, personal and secret about yourself. Uh, I, again, there is an extremely good roadmap on how you make friends. And, and, and E-Online is phenomenally good at it because it's, uh, uh, I mean, still cruel but fair, even if you need to make it crueler but fairer. And the natural instinct in, in such an environment is to bond together with others. Like people bond together to reign the chaos of the environment. 
So, so the fact that Eve is huge, dystopian, you're alone, you're small, the world is enormous, what should you do? That's why you reach out to another person more so in Eve than in other games, which are, just seems like you can play them alone. You get a very distinct feeling in Eve Online that you should not do this alone. Okay. And, uh, and that is extremely intentional. That's great. Uh, we're joined by Ash Tarathi, who's jumped in late. How are you doing, Ash? I'm doing pretty good. This is pretty awesome. Great. Uh, you wanted to ask a question about Faction War? Yeah. So all this talk about the friendship machine is super exciting to me. I think that you're correct. Uh, Eve has a very unique way to make strangers turn into friends, as you describe. Uh, often, I have observed that Faction Warfare has been one of those really, really good ways to take a new player who's by themselves, who doesn't really know what to do, and give them a low-pressure way to get into things like PvP and more risky PvE that allows them to then get sucked up by one of the corps within the militia to go from an individual to a more organized group. So I've always seen Faction Warfare as being like a really important aspect uh, to Eve for, for various reasons, and yet recently in a tweet you suggested that you would be spinning it down. Uh, how does all of how does faction warfare relate to the friendship machine, and and are there plans? Uh, I I think I suggested the reverse in a tweet. Uh, did I misunderstand it then? Uh, you probably did. Uh, probably my communication skills, my English is uh, my second language. Uh, in any case, there there's no uh, plans to spin it down. I, I I think it is. I I think it does serve a purpose, like you're saying. I think it has always. Um, even before we had Factional Warfare, we had these kind of role play events that were kind of organized um, by community volunteers, which were kind of the manual version of Factional Warfare at some point in ancient times, um, is that it became like this sort of, for lack of a better word, gateway drug into the, into the whole madness of, of, of the player politics. So, um, and and there, there's a lot of people inside CCP which are passionate about uh, doing some uh, fixes to Factional Warfare. And now that I've joined the Factional Warfare Discord, I've become famous and read some of the improvement lists. Um, I, I think there is a, a slew of things which are, are not that complicated to slot in with everything else. And I think it does fit our focus of cleaning up the first 30 days because I think at the end of your 30 days, you are probably ready for Factional Warfare. Sort of by day 20, you might be a candidate for that. So sort of on average. Yeah. I agree. And that makes me very excited. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, let's actually talk about the state of New Eden now. We've been talking about it this whole time, but I wanted to bring up, uh, if you haven't seen the previous uh, Hilmar interview with Falcon, uh, that happened in March. Check it out on talkinginstations.com. Uh, and where we were at, when we left it, you said that you're working on some things and that was the 30-day cleanup, which is basically making the first 30 days of EVE Online for a new player something that needs to be cleaned up and made easier and more confined so that they ha you have better retention rates. And, uh, and then there was also major technical foundational work that you were doing. And then there was also addressing some of the economical issues in the game right now. So I'd like to take those three things and go back to them and see what's changed since then. So the first part is uh, cleaning up the first 30 days. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, 
Uh, I think the, the biggest move with cleaning up the first 30 days was the new agency we released in Innovation. Uh, while that is probably more your uh, 7 plus 30 days rather than your minus 2 plus 7 days, uh, which is probably where we need the, the most amount of cleanup. Um, that was a pretty good step. I, I think the new agency is a really good uh, tool to discover content. Uh, and Eve, I, uh, I think the agency and the activity tracker are some of the best sort of roadmaps of what to do in Eve, uh, which, is, which is quite complicated to figure out when you come into the game uh, for the first time. Uh, we also did some changes to the new player experience, which actually weren't as successful as the new agency. Uh, what we're now focusing on is that according to our data, uh, there are more people dropping off in character creation and and uh, steps leading up to that which uh, than we thought there were even some errors in our download on demand configuration so people were experiencing some uh, uh, defects in the very early minutes uh, if you're on a slow connection so there's been a lot of cleanup like that there's been a lot of journey improvement in signups and other things like i said earlier in the podcast then uh, we have about 16000 people per week that uh, lock into Eve for their first time. And these are people that have gone through all the funnel and downloaded and got into the character creator state. We have about 800 people per day that drop out just during character creation. Uh, and if you go through the journey, there's a lot of bad UX in that journey, uh, confusing button layouts, um, false decision-making, like we're having you read about spaceships uh, when you're picking a race, when in online... I mean, it doesn't matter what race you are, you can fly any spaceship. If it's like reality, Germans can drive Toyotas and Japanese can drive BMWs. So why, why confuse you by making false decisions? Um, so, so there's just a, a lot of these sort of uh, booby traps throughout the early experience, which maybe were fine a decade ago when life was different and, uh, and all that, but they just aren't fine today. People have very low tolerances for bad UX in the world today, no matter if they're uh, casual or hardcore. Uh, you, you, you can see people crying about <laughs> bad UX in, in, in all types of games. Uh, and if just has a lot of, of those cleanups we need to do, uh, we made some progress, but we'll continue that. It is the, by far the biggest priority we're working on. Uh, and that's just by virtue of the fact. Um, I, I use the word 16,000 per week, but to give you a sense, last year we got 600,000 people to log into it for the first time. Uh, and uh, we lose 90% of them in the first seven days. And we have generally sort of taken the stance that yeah, those are not worthy for EVE Online. EVE Online is a hardcore game. The, these are people are not hardcore enough. Uh, but we have just studied it and it's not the case. Uh, we have tried various versions of the MP and it just matters a lot. Uh, uh, certain types of new player experiences retain a lot better and those become productive, productive citizens of New Eden. Uh, so uh, there's going to be a big, continue to be a big push on that front on clearing up the first 30 days. So uh, the progress so far has been on these, uh, uh, there's been a lot more user testing done to identify where we need to improve the most. There's been a lot more telemetry added into the journey. There have been some short fixes and ninja fixes added in. We have added sort of fundamental changes like the new agency. Uh, and uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to marry the agency and the activity tracker to just make the loop much clearer to people how 
what is the early sort of treadmill you're on. It's quite difficult enough to find the sort of early treadmill you should go on uh, in the game. And, uh, and we owe it to the 600,000 people that tried to be members of the friendship machine last year to just do a better job on, on introducing that in non-obscure ways. Uh, they will do fine after that. They will join factional warfare or a, a brave new newbies fleet or something and, and, and move on. But we just have to shore up that experience a lot. And there is the massive potential for EVE in doing that. The wheel we have to turn there is massive. We can easily get a million people per year into EVE and retain half of them. And just also, we see so many people trying EVE again and again and again. Like there, so many people really want to play EVE and we somehow just don't manage to show them the wonders of New Eden. Yeah, I often take John Smedley, who used to run Sony Online. He tried 11 times to play him online. <laughs> and, and finally he got it and he became like a pretty hardcore EVE player. Came to FanFest two times and God knows what. Uh, and, uh, but it took him 11 times over a period of eight years just to figure out what to do. And that guy, that guy makes games for a living, MMOs for a living. <laughs> Maybe we I, can soften it down just a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> this is why I constantly think that there's something wrong with me, like I'm a masochist or something, because I logged in for the first time and got hooked. <laughs> I was like, this is just for me. So uh, I worry about my mental state sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but Paul, when you did it, it was so simpler. It was. It was, you're right. It of, was, yeah, it was like yeah, 30 spaceships. Yeah, it was so easy. Like when I was playing Eve back in the early days, it was that simple. The UI was like one tenth of what it is now. The the complexity, the sprawling madness we have today. It was a kids game compared to what we have. Yeah, it was remarkably a, a lot more brutal, but it was it was uh, a lot more simple as well. So you could you could handle the harshness because there wasn't so many choices that you had to make. It was uh, you know the meta was a lot more simple. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. It really has come a long way, and it's it's just trying to trying to adapt to those differences and the new challenges that we have now. That's uh, that's the main hurdle, I think. It, it also seems like one of the things that you're wrestling with is the reputation that Eve has now. In addition to the game mechanics itself, it has a reputation that if, and I'm sure players kind of make this worse by saying if you're not doing nullsec, you're not doing anything. Like they discount all the other ways of gameplay that are a little more. I, I said, say shallower water. They say you need to get into the deep end right away. So I wonder if that pressure makes it hard. So I, I actually think Eve's reputation is amazing and it's uh, a massive strength to the game. Um, I mean, we who live on this all day long, we have a certain impression of the uh, reputation, but the reputation is super like positive. It's just like the actual early, early experience leaves a lot to be desired. So that people come in with the impression based on the reputation, but then they're met with just a lot of confusing uh, uh, things which we need to fix up. And by doing that, I think uh, it's on the reputation that people like Simon are able to pull in 600,000 people to lock into the game. It's just based on Eve Online is legendary. It's like the most game ever made. Uh, and everyone needs to try it at some point in their life or you're just not the proper gamer. Uh, we just like all those hordes of people which are coming in, we just need to embrace them a little more. Again, life harder for veterans, easier for new players, not the reverse. 
Try it. Like very... <laughs> Try it 11 times. You'll get hooked. <laughs> 12 times. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, was told to me recently. There was an article, the Drifter article, when the Drifters invaded recently. PC Gamer put that article out. I think it got three times the amount of interest that any other article had that month. Yeah, exactly. People love reading about EVE Online. If they would love playing it as much as reading about it, if we could make a product out of reading about it. Yes. I, I, we, try, we tried novels and okay, they were pretty good, but it's... it's. I like it's, those, it, yeah. I love those. those. And, and the article on Kotaku about the uh, year-long undercover plot to blow up EVE Online's most notorious space station to read his title has like 400,000 reads. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's massive. It's huge. It just needs to be a little better in the first 30 days. Exactly. First 30 days. Okay. Anything else yeah. in the first 30 days, guys? Somebody had a question. Uh, well, yeah. On the topic of the agency, uh, the agency itself actually spun out of the agency events, which were originally pretty wildly popular, but by last February were more controversial. Um, at the same time, the agency drugs are frequently used by uh, abyss runners and others as a means of uh, allowing themselves to push things even further. We haven't gotten any agency events since February, and the Summer of Skills seems to be a replacement for those kinds of events. Is there any plan to get back to something closer to what we had? And if not, what is the future of those drugs? Yeah, I, I, I think there is something in that, in factional warfare and in new fleet roams and in seasons overall, which uh, all gamers by now just know what are. Uh, everyone expects seasons. Um, so I, I, I think there is something in this sort of trifecta we need to organize better and make uh, better use of. Um, and uh, we have actually been doing a lot of experiments in the closed beta in China, where we, where we actually have a lot more freedom just to do crazy things, uh, because it's a closed beta and it's going to be wiped. And uh, we have actually learned a lot about like uh, what really drives engagement in these kind of events. And uh, uh, and I'm hoping we can leverage some of that uh, those findings into uh, bringing some of this back in in force. Awesome. So the second part of uh, some of the things that you were working on was the technological foundations of EVE Online. What's happened there? Uh, yeah, so in March, then we had just finished, uh, well, patching up the chat system, uh, which has held up pretty good, obviously led to the blackout, uh, and uh, the new launcher, uh, and EVE 64 was a big project, uh, and that has been going amazingly well. The team has done amazing work. The fact that we rolled it out as an optional add-on uh, was uh, ingenious, in my opinion, and that allowed it to kind of shimmer in the in the natural way, where we could uh, just allow people that wanted to be brave go in and and all those things. Um, uh, we are about to roll that out to everyone, but uh, uh, there are still some snacks we found out. And again, just such a powerful thing with the the optional rollout of it. I hope to do more of that uh, on that front in the in the future. Uh, then we continue to work on the DirectX 12 client. Uh, we have an internal version, sort of operational, uh, but it's going to take the remainder of the year to um, 
to sort of clean out all the stuff that can be cleaned out once we have just made DirectX 12, uh, 12 as the baseline. And then, of course, reaping all the benefits from them. And the benefits are massive. Uh, uh, DirectX 12 is super powerful, and there's a lot of different things uh, we can do with that. But that will probably take well into next year of bring all of that about. And hopefully we can do that in an optional rollout as we did with the uh, 64-bit client. Uh, then we're doing a lot of sort of back-end infrastructure improvements. Uh, we've been uh, doing massive changes to the Compat system in Eve called Dogma. Uh, it's actually its own sort of procedural programmatic engine. We've simplified that a lot, which uh, allows us to do some more interesting things and hopefully bring performance, uh, even more performance through that. Uh, we're doing some experiments on the networking side, uh, potentially uh, upgrading the, the protocol transport layer underneath the game massively, uh, which uh, would be a game changer to uh, uh, fleet fights and other things. Uh, that is an extremely sort of uh, speculative project. It could be awesome or it could just not work out, uh, but it's something we're pushing on. Uh, then we're upgrading our all compilers to uh, Visual Studio 2019. Uh, which is a massive project that you've code bases, like millions, tens of millions of lines. So like doing upgrades like that is a massive amount of upgrading all the middleware, doing all the compiles, upgrading all the linking infrastructure, the dev environments and all those things. Uh, that hopefully uh, brings uh, maybe a tiny bit of performance improvement and definitely cleans up the life of developers quite a bit, gives them better tools to develop faster. So there's been a lot going on, on on the on the tech front. And that is kind of the bottom rim of the Eve hierarchy of needs. And now we we believe we're sort of mostly out of the woods there. We we don't need as much focus as we needed earlier part of the year. So now we are in the cruel but fair tier, which is this has a lot to do with the null blackout, with the drifters, with uh, ISK faucets and sinks, they're out of whack. The, there's way too much ISK in the system. Velocity of money is not high enough. There's a lot of uh, fundamental economy problems which we're going to be addressing. Uh, so I expect a lot of changes on that front coming up. Um, that should uh, actually normalize. It, it's, it's usually good to look at the Plex prices because the, the Plex prices, if the if it's actually... Uh, People are, are often saying like the Plex prices are rising. It's actually what is happening is currency devaluation of ISK. Uh, and ISK is the, is the representative of the value of work in Eve Online. And that actually means when the ISK to Plex is falling, um, then work in Eve Online is not valuable enough. And that goes a lot into the barring issues, uh, but we're taking about like risk reward dynamics and null sec. So we need to push up so that ISK is more valuable. And that's kind of a health indicator of the overall economy. And it's out of whack currently. Uh, we both have just an overall out of whack issue. And then we have like a Gini coefficient issue. Some people are too rich. The richest 1% in even line is way too wealthy and way too powerful. It's vastly out of whack, it's worse than reality, and the reality is pretty bad. Um, and that goes into this sort of, as I say, the cruel but fair uh, tier of the hierarchy of needs. So uh, the, the focus has shifted from the tech infrastructure, which is now, I would say, on rails and into this. 
So the later six months will be a lot about the uh, about the economy. Uh, then once we're on that, hopefully we get to enhancing the friendship machine. That then goes into these elements of factional warfare, new fleet finder, agency, social discovery tools, and those kind of things. So there's a lot going on, as you can see. Yeah. That's fascinating, though. The explanation of um, the Plex prices actually reflect on the ISK value uh, rather than the other yeah. way around. Yes, it is exactly like that. It's Plex that is anchored. Like Plex is the anchor. It's like gold in reality. It is ISK, which is volatile. It's the, the Plex prices are not changes. It's the ISK getting devalued. And it's getting devalued because it's too easy to come by, especially for some people that then devalue it against the Plex. They want the Plex because they have so much ISK because it's so easy to come by. This and is the, the heart of the problem. Yeah. And then the people that have a harder time getting ISK have a harder time buying Plex because of the increase of Plex because of the ease of access of ISK. So like this is like a... Yeah, it's a vicious circle. Yes. It needs to be broken. So how are you going to break it? Uh, it is uh, taking away the comfort of people that have an easy time of getting ISK, either through uh, uh, actual security, sense of security, or they're just not playing the game because they're having robots do it. Did the darkness or the blackout affect um, botters? Do you, can you talk about that? Yeah, it affected botters massively. They were Tool. quick to recover, though, but uh, uh, you definitely saw uh, an impact. But more is coming. Um, uh, it's a huge problem, uh, and it's going to get uh, moved on, and uh, their life is going to be very uncomfortable. They ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, one of the things that I that I noticed was um, when the blackout hit, without warning, um, actually 48-hour warning, maybe maybe a little longer than that because you said you were going to do it, then you gave a 48-hour warning and then it hit, but it was relatively quick, that it really paralyzed a lot of the income-generating models um, that had happened before. Not everybody was paralyzed in, in their the Oracle usage. Players will know what I'm talking about. Um, but they did stop using excavators because they were easy to kill. And uh, that meant, meant that the Oracles were actually mining a great deal less. So the income generation at least was nerfed dramatically. I don't feel that it paralyzed anything. People allowed it to paralyze them out of fear of not wanting to take the risk of being out in space when they didn't know what was around them and they had less spatial awareness. Um, I mean, this is something that we spoke about um, at length internally. I mean, we sort of sat down and were like, what effect is this going to have? Um, and it was no surprise to see people um, kind of turtle up and say, I'm not going to go out in space. Uh, then we saw exactly what Elise said uh, earlier, what he touched on, where we have um, people who, you know, the, the first brave few souls who are risk adverse take the step and they start go out and they start hitting NPCs again and they start mining again and then their friends see them doing it and slowly things start to open up more people start to take the risk and get out in space I mean it's it's just one of those things where you know when you get pushed outside of your comfort zone I mean you go some people are terrified of heights right but you strap them to someone tandem and you say okay we're going to go and jump out of an airplane and they see that it's not that terrifying after they get used to it a little bit, you know, they're more than like, it's more than likely they'll go for round two if you ask them, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's very, um, it's just pushing people outside of their comfort zone, redefining their comfort zone, 
um, and then allowing them to play the game in a different way because they've realized that, you know, things aren't so big and bad when they're, when they don't have the spatial awareness that they used to have. Um, and we've seen that in metrics. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a very, it's an interesting lesson in psychology, but it's, it's one that, uh, that the metrics and the data prove to be very, very true. And to Elise's point also, and, and Paul's, uh, if you're not willing to go out, guess what? There's a bunch of other people ready to go out. And if you're not willing to go out in the null sec and actually take the risk, then you don't belong in null sec. You should move back to Empire and you should mine an Empire. Because if you're not willing to be at risk when you're out in a lawless area of space, you don't belong there. If you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, a, it's super tricky. I, I'm sure it's even trickier for you guys because you have these people who are uh, this huge group, group of players that are used to making these obscene amounts of money, uh, relatively obscene amounts of money. And you know, I think everyone's always played a game where they've been the overpowered guy and then they've been nerfed. And that feeling just, it just sours you for, for weeks and weeks. And you're like, oh, screw these guys. They don't know what they're doing. They're breaking the game. Uh, are you expecting that sort of like visceral reaction to come or is it, has it like come and passed already? We've already seen that, right? I mean, it's, it's already come. It's, uh, we had immediately when we announced this, seven days before the blackout happened, we announced that it was going to happen soon. And we, we saw that knee-jerk reaction where people panicked and they said, I'm quitting. I'm unsubscribing my 50 accounts. Like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to play your game again, CCP. Um, and, and then we saw things stabilize immediately after that. We saw, obviously, you know, you get a downturn in activity because people are sort of uh, really, really scared to go out when they don't have the spatial awareness they used to have. But exactly what you said earlier is, is slowly people warm to it. Slowly people get, they adjust their comfort zone and they realize that, hey, it's, a, it's not as frightening as people make it out to be. Uh, I'm worried about nothing. Um, and I can actually get out there and I can still make money. It just means that there's potentially the risk that uh, that I'm going to end up with a net loss if I do something silly or I get too complacent. And it is. Uh, it does actually feel like, uh, I know we were saying, or whom we were saying, like, we don't need an EVE classic, right? We can just iterate on, on EVE that exists. But it does feel like uh, this added element of chaos, the blackout, it does kind of remind you uh, if you've played the game for a very long time, over the earlier days in EVE Online, and I don't know if it's true for, for everyone or if it's just me, but I've had you know dozens and dozens of people that have quit EVE Online um, over the last five or ten years, and, and they're coming back saying, hey, like I I'm playing for, for the weekend. This is really fun. Like Let's go on roams. Let's do this. And it does seem like the, the, the blackout has caused a, a trickle-on effect of a lot of older players returning. Is that something you guys are seeing, or is that just me being an old man with <laughs> like 10 years of Steam friends lists? No, uh, we definitely see it in our data. Um, and I and I think it's often interesting with this if, uh, with this classic thing. Um, I always ask people, what are you looking for in the classic? Are you looking for like retro graphics? Are you looking for old UX? Are you looking for nostalgia? You're looking for a sense of exploration and wonder. Are you looking for something more dangerous? And usually people don't really know or they're one of the above or all of the above. Uh, so I, I have not been a big fan of making an EVE classic uh, like some MMOs have done uh, because I, I think what needs to happen to, to, for EVE is good for everyone. I don't think we have this sort of uh, traditional list group that just wants it like this. I, I, I frankly... Uh, 
think if you look at some of the MMOs which have gone the classic route, they they end up with very bifurcated uh, audience segments in them. And I think that is a bit of a cop out from building an ecosystem that can allow for all of these things to coexist. So in a bit of the sort of single chart mantra, it is more just a, about like uh, designing the difficulty monthly such that you can find your rim where you, where you want to exist. And when you're talking about EVE players that have left and are now coming back, they are coming, they, they did leave because they had just climbed Mount Everest 20 times. Why would you go there 21 times? It's just like, what's new? Uh, you've done it. Uh, the normal road, the North Face without oxygen, uh, without pants, like what's left to do? Uh, and, uh, uh, and now we just kind of added a, a little mountain on top of a mountain. It's not quite Mount Olympus yet, but uh, hopefully it will become there. And thus, uh, people are excited to come back because it has that sense of challenge sense of uncertainty, sense of mastery, sense of learning, growing, failing, succeeding, uh, which we uh, were kind of at the, at the final stages of losing uh, because the, 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 the stability was so high. It was turning into the purple donut, as I now call it, apparently. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, um, it's exactly what, you, what you're saying then and, and what's been said earlier when we've been discussing like, like what Eve really is. Uh, I mean, it's great for, uh, for other MMOs to come out with sort of the, the classic and the Redwall versions. But uh, I mean, for me, uh, there'll only ever be one Eve for me. That's the way that I see it. It's single shot. It's persistent. That's the way that it runs. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, can, you can find different levels of comfort, right? You can, find, uh, you can find different levels of difficulty and you can find different levels of effort of whatever type of gameplay that you want in EVE just by visiting different areas of space. I mean, there are so many games within a game when you play EVE. I mean, you can dive into PvE, you can dive into PvP, you can dive into uh, doing planetary interaction, you can just go complete the industrialist route, you can go the complete diplomat route. You don't even need to undock to make billions in the game. And it's, um, yeah, it's 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 one of those beautiful things where if we keep adding, we keep tweaking, we keep playing around with it, um, and, in, and in a sense, sometimes looking backwards and, and, and seeing what worked in the past, um, you can always find a place to, to create EVE Classic for all those people who want it without even having to launch a new game or a new server or a new version of the game. EVE constantly adapts. Um, and I think it's always going to ebb and flow and go through these states of change where things sort of like quiet and down and stagnate and build again. And I mean, we see this year on year. We see the, the build up in the winter, then the you know, then the, the, the lull during the summer, then the build-up again. And anyone who's a CEO in EVE will know that it's an absolute nightmare keeping a corporation or an alliance active over the course of the summer. That's just the way that it is. I used to dread it every year for 10 years when I ran my own corporation because you would run into this brick wall at, like, sort of the end of May where it's like, bye, guys, I'm off on vacation. And you would find that fleet commanders, directors, that kind of stuff would go AFK. So I think it's it's just a matter of looking at the ebb and flow of EVE and, and looking at what we can do to... Uh, to make sure that it constantly stays vibrant. Um, and I think a lot of the changes that are coming up and a lot of what we've been doing all the sort of the last few weeks uh, have, have spurred a lot of old vets to coming back. I mean, I've seen probably 30 or 40 people 
personally that I know who have said, oh, fuck me, no local in Nullsec. I'm going to come back and sort of poke the bear a little bit and have some fun and see if I can rack up a few kills. Then people log in after 10 years away and they're like, what the hell happened to my Megathron and why can't I fly it anymore? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's super interesting, you know, and it's, uh, uh, and welcoming those vets back with open arms is, uh, is definitely a good thing. I have a little bit of a follow-up to that because one of the things we saw during the blackout was that suddenly Ezekiel decided to take off uh, their service and make it completely blackout, right? Um, and this ties into one of the things about Classical Eve that someone seemed to have forgotten. It's how much perfect knowledge destroys the game. Back in the day, we used to scrape the market so suddenly you could have universal information and eventually CCP opened it up with the ESI. So we had a very controversial discussion. What would happen if CCP actually decided to delay the ESI? So you could not actually have access to perfect universal knowledge of the market or the kills, because suddenly you have to then put real warm hands back into the game. Someone needs to be in the region to actually see the market. Someone needs to actually be on grid to see the kills being made. Yeah, I mean, from uh, from my point of view, um, I I think that having the API is great. Having all these third party tools is fantastic, and the creativity of the community is absolutely awesome in designing so many awesome you know applications for disseminating this information and making it viewable. But I definitely feel, and this is no discredit to either the guys who work on the API or uh, or the guys who make the third party tools in the community, but I I'm putting my hardcore hat on again, and I feel like we spoon feed too much information. We give out too much intelligence. I think people should have to work for it. It should be a career in game. And it should be something that as a player, you are skilled at doing. You are a skilled intelligence gatherer. You know what you know what matters to an FC. You, As a scout, you know what information people want to give out. And I can remember sort of back in 06, 07, 08, when having a, you know, you'd be even just roaming through low sec with a 20-man gang, you are relying on a scout so that, and, and a tail scout as well behind you to make sure that you weren't going to get caught with your pants down and you weren't going to sit on your own balls because you jumped into another fleet and you got your asses handed to you. And and, and back then it was a, it was an incredibly fun thing to, to act as a scout. I can remember doing it many, many times for a corporation and it was so much fun. And yeah, I do think, uh, I do think it's a, it's a contributing factor to that safety umbrella and it's a contributing factor to why so many people are, are sort of uh, are doing the whole null sec get rich quick thing uh, because they just have so much safety. In most instances, working and living in null can be safer than high sec if you're in the right area. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that, uh, that a lot of intelligence systems should go away. And just... Uh... Like I said before, with the Seekill blackout, all the discussion online about how some players at least were loving it, at the very least, there's something interesting there to look into further. Right. Um, another thing that comes up, because we're talking about the massive maldistribution of wealth, some people being super, super rich compared to um, most players or other players, uh, it seems like the... The risk has been heightened. The uh, the chaos is uh, trying to destabilize the easy money, basically, that I think uh, Falcon was just alluding to. What about asset safety? That seems like a huge, huge change, a uh, huge, huge uh, possibility. I've been very direct around this. I completely kill it 100%. It would go away and it would never be a thing ever again. Um, I believe if you put something in space, you work for the... 
you uh, you put it down and you put it at risk, it should be at risk of being destroyed. Um, from my point of view, I would uh, I would have asset safety work exactly the same as if you destroy a ship. Massive loot pinata, and what drops out of it drops out of it. What the loot fairy gives you, she gives you, and what you don't get out of it, you don't get out of it. Just that's the way that I would work it. Um, and I know a lot of people disagree with that. Uh, a lot of people think it's too harsh, especially when you've got you, you know an eighty billionist, uh, an eighty billionist keep star, and then potentially trillions of its worth of stuff inside of it. But you roll the dice when you live in nullsec. That's the way that it is, and that's uh, exactly how I'd want the game to be. So play. So players who it, it, it's, it's actually uh, uh, just to kind of build on that uh, the the fact we have an NPC stations with endless amount of storage space is a design cop out uh, from the beginning. Like we we had extraordinarily elaborate designs in place which we had to rip out because of database performance to limit how much you could store on NPC stations. Uh, and there was going to be upkeep, there was going to be like a free slot. And I, I, know, I remember I wrote like acres of code in the market service so that you couldn't use the market as a cheating storage by just keeping everything in your orders as a fake storage space. So, so this fact that you have, uh, well, starting with NPC stations, endless amount of free storage space. And now with asset safety in Citadels, where you can just have a billion titles in your citadel and there's no upkeep, there's nothing. Where, where are they all? Like, it just doesn't make any physical sense even. Um, it, it is something we need to tackle. It's not the way uh, the game was meant to be, uh, to, to allow you to accumulate so many things. There, there, there's a lot of elements, like, for example, with the titans, which don't really fully function. It's like, to have such massive weapons of war, you need fuel to to power them. Like the Germans lost because they were out of fuel. Like they had massive tanks, but no fuel. Like the the, the fact you can just sift these things around is just is not natural, and and it's not how it should be. Whether it is going as extreme as quickly as Paul is saying, uh, just ripping it out immediately. Um, uh, uh, maybe that's not the approach, but something needs to be done. Uh, this is not natural. It causes a lot of uh, uh, misaligned uh, behavior to what Eve should be. Will it make it harder to encourage old players to come back to the game? Because they'll have to start all over from scratch. Uh, it will definitely make some things harder. Like nothing is without a trade-off. But when you're faced with a tough choice and you don't know which way to go, you have to have some principle to, to guide you. And uh, and this is just not how the world works. It's not how Eve is meant to work. Nothing is perfectly safe anywhere. It's just not a thing. Uh, it's it never has been a thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a law of the universe. Um, uh, whatever whatever belief you hold, nothing is permanent. It's just what it is except asset safety and NPC stations in email line is permanent. It's the only permanent thing uh, we know. Not even money in Icelandic banks is safe. There is that. So if only you could uh, take your real money and put it in an NPC station, then we'd be on to something. Exactly. Huh, <laughs> now there's a business model. Come and store your assets in email line. They're safe forever. Sure, with all the uh, work you're doing with blockchain or looking at blockchain as models and stuff, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there. We're onto something. We certainly have a better operating record than Icelandic banks, for example. 
right? And you have ghosts to enforce uh, things if, you, if need be. Indeed. Indeed, we have ghosts. So there's, a, there's something, though. The, um, you've been looking at, I mean, uh, you know, you, every time I talk to you, I'm just fascinated with the stuff that you're looking at. Uh, and one of the things is blockchain and how they organize themselves. And you were thinking at some point, not anytime soon, but you would take some of those principles and relate them to the marketplace of you online and give it more complexity. Uh, yes. Uh, so I uh, love tracking blockchain. I've been doing it for a decade. And uh, my hobby is going to blockchain game conferences. There you find some of the best economy thinking in all of the game industry. Because the constraint of the blockchain is so high, there's so little you can use it for, that people come with such elaborate theories and people have built such amazing technology like uh, the Lightning Network for Bitcoin and the, all the sidechain solutions for Ethereum and all that. It's fascinating to see the economic powers that are brought to bear to try to make this useful for something in its current in its current form because just to give you a sense like the dau of v online is more than all of blockchain combined like uh, if you look at the dau on ethereum and 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 Bitcoin, even line has higher daily active usage than, than all blockchain industry combined. Um, and it's mainly just because if you were to put something like even line on, on, on a blockchain, the earth would melt. There isn't enough power in the universe to power that. Uh, but because of those constraints, they have to chisel their thinking so sharply uh, and really boil it down to the essential. Uh, I find some of the sharpest economy thinkers uh, are at gaming blockchain conferences, which is an actual niche. And they, and they have many of them. And, and I love going there and just being inspired. A lot of them reference Eve Online as the first blockchain game that didn't use a blockchain. Uh, everyone, yeah, everyone wants to build some version of Eve Online. Uh, uh, and and, and then that, that's the extent of their uh, imagination, like sort of creativity, and, but their uh, extent of their implementation powers are immense because the constraints are so high you have to be so precise in what you do yeah one of the things that attracted me to eve online was how complex the economy could get and it felt like that was a whole half of the game the other part was the vampiric pvp yeah one last yes. question uh this is the last question uh, and then we'll wrap up there was an article that came out and i think it was polygon where you talked about uh, some of the technology underpinnings of eve online and how if in the future and this is an if, you needed to migrate all of EVE players onto new technology that you could do it in some way through story. And, and I hope this is accurate. And that means like maybe some kind of voyage that uh, like New Eden was created by a pilgrimage from our current solar system. And w it might look like, for instance, a second pilgrimage out of New Eden on into a new s space. Uh, and that transition in the lore and in the game would actually be underpinned by changes in technology. Does that sound accurate? Uh, yeah, it sounds very accurate. It's totally something I would say, at least. So, <laughs> uh, um, so uh, I mean, you, you, you are watching us now do experiments, for example, with uh, uh, Ether Wars on the Harian engine, uh, which is a, 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 a kind of a research spike in what is a very different way to do a space game in the in the modern era 
And you've also seen us do something like an ambassador touch base. We actually have changed the camera angle, like uh, flight dynamics. We've done a lot of experimentation on that front. Uh, and I hope that we will do more of these kind of spikes into different directions. Uh, and I would encourage everyone to join the, the next beat in the Etherwar story, which is happening around Gamescom. Um, we've kind of taken Etherwars into the abyss. You, you kind of see it when you watch the trailer. Uh, and it's, uh, it's going somewhere. Out of that, I hope we will learn something about like what is a, a, a way to address some of the fundamental issues in EVE fleet fights. Um, has to do with the fact that the combat system is mostly one-dimensional. Um, when you when you look at it, the reason why people blob up as they do into two balls is because that is the mathematical solution to the underlying fundamentals of the physics engine of Eve. As soon as you have introduced elements like line of sight and orientation of spaceships, you naturally create formations, flanks, uh, and and all the sort of systems of large-scale warfare where not only they're naturally happening, you don't have to game design it, but also they're, they're immediately comprehensible to other humans. You understand why the big ships are in front of the small ships. You understand why protecting the flank is an issue because those ships can't turn very quickly and they're weak on the left side and not the right side. And to do this in our current physics engine uh, would be major surgery and probably not even worth it. But doing this in uh, Ether engine is uh, quite doable. And then you've fundamentally changed the, the potential of warfare, not only from a, a lag perspective and things like that, but also from tactics. And, and, uh, and then this just becomes so much more engaging than the current one-dimensional system, which is mostly a function of distance and fall off and, and just what we have to play with uh, at that scale. Um, so... Um, then once you have done that, then okay, how do you introduce that into the world where you cannot just completely rip all the muscle memory away from people? People have trained to do fleet fights for 16 years. It's not like just turning off local. It's a little more fundamental than that. It's embedded into your <laughs> nervous system. Then you have to make a migrating pattern over to this new uh, technology platform. And then it's not a hard imagine to, to make okay, if people are able to migrate in new it in, in the first place, why can't they migrate somewhere else? Well, the wormhole that opened up, wouldn't that open up again? Uh, maybe there were other people from Earth that went another way because another uh, uh, wormhole has opened because timeline on Earth, the Terrans are still there. They're up to something. Maybe another wormhole has opened and that had led to somewhere else. Um, so there are just so many dynamics to how you could roll this out once we have executed all that. And, and that's one of the things we're now allowing ourselves is just to take these like insanely long leading projects like this Etherworth thing, which will lead somewhere. We're not entirely sure why or if it's going to work out. And that's why we're recruiting EVE players to join us along for the journey. Once we have pieced together all these things, shore up some of the fundamentals for fixing this year's in EVE itself, then you can imagine a much more exciting world where you, where you have these kind of multi- dimensional versions of the game kind of coexisting in one social economy. Yep, it's um, it's super exciting stuff. And uh, just got to do the, the dirty community guy plug for Ether Wars actually, because I was uh, 
I was super surprised at how many uh, people signed up first time around for the first test, and it, uh, it warmed my, my cold, dead heart to see so many e-flayers embrace it and really want to become part of it. Um, so for everyone who's, uh, who's going to be listening, uh, you should definitely sign up for Phase 2. Um, it's happening on the 18th of August at uh, 1300 EDT, so 1700 UTC, 1800 BST. Um, and you need to sign up for it so you can go to hadian.com slash evetherwars um, and just sign up with your email address that you use for EVE Online, so your verified email address. Um, and, yeah, come and be part of it because while it's something that's still in the super early sort of exploratory phases, it's very exciting. <laughs> Um, and it could do a lot for the future stability and the future uh, the future technological advancement of Eve. So something that's very very exciting for us. This is for the future of Eve, and like the, the it's still very much a demo, but it's the build is looking super cool. Also, like it's 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 amazing what the guys are doing. Also, the aim is for ten thousand players in a single fight, and just seeing. But if we get more than uh, six thousand one hundred and forty-two, I think it is, then we'll break a Guinness World Record again. And who doesn't want to be part of that? Yeah, breaking our own world record or your world record. Well, that's uh, something we'll look forward to. Thank you guys very much for this uh, exciting two hours of conversation. Uh, totally. Uh, blown away by some of the stuff that I heard today. It's um, uh, it's always surprising that even after playing this game for more than a decade and nonstop, that it's uh, there's still things to learn. Okay, so I want to say um, thank you to uh, Hilmar for joining us with CCP Falcon and CCP Goodfella. Thank you guys very much. And Ashtarathi, Caleb, Carneros, and Elise, thanks guys for being here with me. And I also want to thank McLeod for putting the engineering together. Uh, that's all that we have time for this time. So we will see you next time on Talking in Stations.